I hope you have somebody in your life who's like a mentor to you. Not like a life coach that's becoming so popular these days, but I'm talking about like a spiritual guide, someone who can help direct your soul. I have one of those folks. He lives in Lexington. He's in his 80s. His name is Jerry Mercer, and every once in a while I'll sneak out of here and I'll drive up to Lexington and I'll sit at his feet for a while. Jerry was was one of my preaching professors and dean of the chapel at Asbury Seminary when I was a student uh, back in the uh, early 90s. I remember one afternoon, uh, I, I, was, I had an appointment with him, and so I knocked on his door, and Jerry, Jerry's kind of a mystical guy, okay? He, he likes all, you know, kind of the more spiritual aspects of our faith, and I opened up the door, and all I could see was a red cloud of smoke. I said, what is going on? And I, and I said, Dr. Mercer, are you in there? He said, yes, come on in, come on in, come on in. He was burning frankincense as he was praying. Because as scripture says, they, the frankincense, they would light it at the altar and the, it would rise to heaven like their prayers. So he was in there praying and I couldn't even see anything. So I kind of walked through this cloud, kept walking, kept walking, and finally I found him. Boy, how amazing. It was, it was like the cloud of God that we see in our scripture passage today that filled the temple on that day that they brought the Ark of the Covenant to its resting place. Well, after graduation, um, got to my first pastoral appointment. I was an associate at First Methodist in Waco, Texas. And I wanted to be just like Dr. Mercer. So I went and found the Catholic store in town because Cokesbury didn't sell frankincense like that. And I bought some frankincense and I got to the office and I said, okay, this is going to be holy. I'm going to fill the office with the cloud of God as my prayers will rise to heaven. Boy, I was really into it. And I lit this thing and my office filled with this thick smoke and all the fire alarms went off. (laughs) And the sprinklers came showering down. And the fire department came out. And we all had to evacuate the church. And then all the phone calls started going to the conference office. Who is this bishop and who did he bring to this church? Not one of the brightest moments of my life, for, for sure. Our scripture passage today deals with, and don't have any frankincense. You didn't bring any of that with you. Okay, good. Our scripture passage today deals with the dedication of the temple that Solomon built. And what happened wasn't just a simple dedication that day. Remember when we had our our dedication for for our chapel? That was a beautiful moment. But on this day, when they dedicated the temple, something happened. It was a worship service for the ages. Last week, we talked about how David had started to bring the Ark of the Covenant, you know, that had the Ten Commandments in it, those stone tablets, back to Jerusalem. And he didn't do it the right way. And he didn't have a temple to put it in, so they put it in in a storage unit until the temple was built. 
And decades later, they built the temple, and it's time to bring this Ark of the Covenant in. So they carried it in. The priests carried it in. And they set it down in, in the most holy place in the temple, its final resting spot. And what is so interesting to me in our scripture is that in, in verse 11 of our scripture passage, it says that whether these priests were on duty or not, some of them were on call that day, some of them weren't. They had the day off. Every one of them purified themselves. They did something before the actual worship service to purify themselves for the actual worship service. They didn't just show up for this dedication of the temple. They prepared themselves for the holy task of worshiping God. You know, 1 Peter chapter 2 says something that's kind of strange. It says that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of a royal priesthood. Think about that. You ever thought of yourself as a priest? You are part of a royal priesthood. If you're a Christian, that's your calling. That's your responsibility. Now, we're not just a kingdom of priests like God called the people to be in Exodus 19.6. Peter says we are a royal priesthood. See, that refers to our king, who is Jesus Christ. And if we are part of a royal priesthood, just as being followers of Jesus, that makes each one of us, think about this, more of a priest than the priests in the Old Testament. God may not have called you to ministry. You may not wear one of these things, which are fancy looking, but they're hot. God may not have called you to be a pastor, but he's called you to be a priest in his kingdom. So if we are priests in the kingdom, in this royal priesthood, how do we prepare ourselves for the task of worshiping God like these priests did in 2 Chronicles chapter 5? Think about it. How did you get here today? If getting here today was a holy moment for you, raise your hand. Hmm? Yep. Okay, I got a couple back there. For most of us, it's not. We roll out of bed, grab a cup of coffee, yell at the kids, get your clothes on, brush your teeth, find your shoes, drive like crazy so we're not late. That's how most of us get here. But you know, there has to be more to preparing ourselves for worship than that. There has to be. Let's think about what it means to worship God. What does that mean? When we worship God, we're acknowledging his presence with us. We're inviting the creator of the universe, the redeemer of our souls, the sustainer of our lives. We're inviting that God to make himself known to us. 
And listen, it's going to be difficult for us to worship God in a complete way if we don't prepare ourselves for it. So how do we prepare ourselves like these priests did in 2 Chronicles chapter 5? Well, maybe on Sundays we wake up before everybody else. Instead of grabbing our lucky charms and turning on Sports Center, maybe we focus on a psalm instead. Maybe we have some Christian music playing while we're getting ready and in the car driving here. Maybe we just turn off all media. We'll check Facebook later. We've got to get ready for worship. See, I think if we truly understood worship, we would know in our hearts that we have to get in the zone, so to speak, to be able to experience God's presence in a real way when we come here together. Worship is not just having an order of the service. That's not worship. It's so much deeper. When we look at verse 12 in our scripture, we see that the priests who are musicians start playing all their instruments. And notice what detail that we're given to, to all of these folks. All the Levitical singers were arrayed in fine linen. Not just linen. It was fine linen. I don't know what that fine linen looked like, but it was nicer than the linen. Why did the writer of Chronicles put that detail in there? Why, why do we know this? Why is it important that they wore fine linen? Isn't what's in their hearts more important than the type of linen that they wore? When I was a kid, growing up in New Orleans, we were taught to wear our best clothes to worship. Sometimes for me, it was the clothes that were the least dirty, but they were the best. And my southern mom, she would inspect us every Sunday before she would let us get in the car. Because we used to go get beignets at Cafe Du Monde on the way to church, so we were never late to church. So my brothers and I would stand there and we would do this. She'd say, okay, baby, now show me your socks. Now, I didn't have Yorkie socks on like the ones Russ Kreider gave me, but I would show her my socks, make sure they matched. Because for her, it wasn't about being showy at worship. It was about giving God your best, everything. When I lived in poverty in high school, I've shared that story with you. I'd go to church on Sunday wearing my jeans that had the fewest holes in them. But you know, they were the nicest ones I had. Sometimes I'd wear my favorite t-shirt. I saved that shirt for Sunday. Because it was the best one. It's not dressing up in three-piece suits, trying to outdo everybody. It's giving your best to God. See, it's becoming commonplace in our, in our country 
not to care what we wear to worship, yet I wonder if we're losing the awe of worship in the process. I know we don't want to make people uncomfortable. Well, I don't have anything to wear to church. But I wonder if we're losing something. Because in other places in the world, the expectation is to look your best when you come to worship because Almighty God's worth it. I mean, coming to worship's not like going to the mall. This is a grand, holy event. We don't just wear linen, we wear fine linen. There are Methodists in Africa who walk to miles, walk miles to church in the heat in a suit because they want to honor God with the best they have. We dress up for special occasions all the time, weddings and parties, proms, job interviews. Is the public corporate worship of Almighty God less of an event than those, than those events? Listen, what we do in here, this is one of the most important hours of the week. Of all the things that you do throughout the week, this is one of the most important things we do. Let's not treat it as if it's no different from just hanging out with friends. I was, when I was in seminary back in the 90s, I was one of those students who wore a tie to class. Yeah, I was one of those. And they called me one of those. Oh, Mike, you're one of those, I forgot. I mean, because for me, seminary, preparing for ministry, wasn't like studying British literature. To me, seminary was holy work, and I wanted to take it seriously. So I'd have jeans on. Some days I'd have shorts on, but I wore a tie. Because for me, that's what, yeah, I know, go ahead and mock me, let it come on. My mom wasn't around to inspect me, see, she was, she was in New Orleans. But I wanted something to say this is different type of education. Let's get back to Second Chronicles here. So on this important day, these priests are joined by 120 other priests who played their trumpets. Y'all, one trumpet is loud enough. 120 trumpets. And there were no sound barriers in that place. Imagine how loud that must have been. But they weren't just making a loud racket. They were singing and playing their trumpets in unison, and they were giving thanks to the Lord. And we even have here some of the words that they sang. God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. It's a variant of Psalm 118. That's what they sang. They were singing about who God is. And they were singing about what God does. God is a good God. And he loves us without end. That's what they were singing there weren't songs that they were singing about how much they needed God. You know these songs today? Oh God, I need you, I need you. It seems so selfish to me. The focus was on God. It wasn't on themselves. That's worship. 
That's worship. And notice that they had a worship band. All right, hang on. They're in their fine linen with cymbals, harps, lyres. It was a band. It wasn't just one person on an organ playing the music. No offense, Brian. Okay. It was a whole band. They formed a community of worship leadership that led everybody else in the singing. See, I don't think that the type of instruments that we have in worship is is as important as our attitude and our focus in worship. When we focus, when the focus of our time together becomes on what we do rather than why we're here, I think worship becomes about ourselves and not about God. Let me ask you a question here. Uh, do y'all look forward to Sunday mornings? I do. I give a benediction. I'm like, yes, only six days. We get to do this again. That's how I feel. I can't wait until we're all together. When you walk through these doors into this beautiful sanctuary... Are you just focused on finding your seat or are you focused on the fact that God wants to reveal himself to you? That's our focus of worship. And as the priests in our scripture sang, as they played their instruments, as they they gave thanks to God, we're told that something happened that hadn't happened since the days of Moses. Moses. The entire temple was filled with a cloud. We don't know if it was like fog or if it was like smoke. We don't know what it was. It was a mystery. All they knew that it was that it was the glorious presence of the Lord. And it says that the cloud was so thick that they couldn't continue. They had to stop. Maybe like when we were forced out of the church in Texas because I, like a dummy, lit the frankincense in my office and we all had to run out. Maybe it was something like that. See, when we think of God, we don't always think of a dark cloud, do we? That's not our image of God. We like to think that God is a God of clarity, not a God of a dense cloud. We want to think that because we study the Bible, we can have a clear picture of who God is. Oh, may God forgive us if we ever think that our human minds can ever grasp the magnitude of who God is. Psalm 97.2 says that clouds and darkness surround God. See, he's too great for us to see. There's a mystery about God that we'll never be able to solve, at least on this side of heaven, that is. I mean, we tend not to like the unknown. We like to have understanding. We like to know what's coming next. We want clarity and specific answers. I mean, I'm having cancer surgery in, in about three weeks. Boy, I have, with my brain the way it is, I mean, I mean, I'm an egghead. I even look like an egghead. I mean, I've been reading everything. I even watched a YouTube video of my exact procedure. 
Yeah, maybe I won't do that again. But I want to know everything about this. I don't like the unknowns in my life. Sometimes we feel like our lives are in a complete fog. Have you ever been there? Our our lives are so dark we can't even see our hand in front of us. Sometimes we we strain to find God in in the midst of a life situation. God, where are you in this? We've all been there. What we don't realize is that while we're straining to find God in the midst of the mess that we call our life, we're trying to look through the fog and the darkness to try to find God when things happen in our lives that we didn't want to happen. While we're looking out there, he's been right here the whole time. We're looking at the wrong place. God is so close we can't even see him. What if our worship looked like that? Instead of straining to find God in the midst of our worship service, what if we discovered that worship can take place wherever we are? And not just here in this room. Because see, God is with us wherever we go. So we can worship him wherever we go. And I think that's the final lesson of our scripture passage. Verse 14 says that because the clouds so filled the temple, the priests were driven out. They ran out. If what we do in here on Sunday mornings is going to be worship for the ages, and I pray every Sunday is, that's my hope every Sunday. If what we do in here is worship for the ages, then the presence of God is going to so fill our lives that we're going to be driven out of this place and into the world with the saving message of Christ. What we do in here shouldn't stay in here. When you leave these doors in just a few minutes, when you get in your cars, you're entering the mission field. You are. What we experience in here, what God does in our lives in this room must always have an effect on the people that we encounter when we leave this place. The presence of God is simply too big, too mysterious to stay with us and to stay in one room in this big building that we're in. See, that's one of my prayers for this church. I have lots of prayers for this church. I do a lot of praying for this church. One of my prayers is that worship here at Centenary would drive us out of ourselves and out of this building and right into the daily lives of other people. Because that's what it means to be a royal priesthood 
of God. That our faith is not for ourselves. Our experiences of God are not just for ourselves. God gives us these experiences so that we can be in the lives of other people and to share the love of God with them. Let's pray.